on the Modern Military History podcast, we have been delving into the secret war that was occurring, fought by Mac V. Sog in Laos, Cambodia, inside North and South Vietnam. We have interviewed warriors of Mac V. Sog and heard their stories. On this episode of the Modern Military History podcast, we will be speaking with the son of a Sog warrior who unfortunately did not make it home. Today we have Rich Fitz Jr. here to talk with us. Sir, welcome to the podcast and thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, honored to be here. It's a pleasure. Copy that. Copy that. Sir, um, let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? When were you born? Uh, August 11th, 1966, in uh, one town over from where I am right now in Weymouth, Massachusetts. Gotcha. Gotcha. And um, is that where you grew up? Grew up there as well? In a way. Um, <clears throat> my childhood was kind of divided in, into two memorable <laughs> uh, sections, I guess you could say. Early on, I was uh, living uh, in Abington. Um, a couple of years uh, when my father was uh, just went overseas, uh, my mother and myself moved in with his parents. Uh, a little background, both grandparents, both families are from Abington. <clears throat> so very small, small-knit uh, community thing. Um, but uh, for a few years, to, I think it was two years or so, give or take, when my father was uh, first uh, went overseas, we lived with his parents uh, a couple miles down the road. A um, couple years after that, uh, we moved in with my mother's parents on the property that I am living in right now. Uh, it was it was about 1975. <clears throat> my father was still <clears throat> missing or, or whatever, and uh, we uh, we moved uh, to Pembroke uh, right about that time. And my mother started a horse farm, and uh, I lived there until <clears throat> probably well off and on. You know, early late teens, I should say, after graduation, moved to couple different places lived with a couple girlfriends or whatever but uh, ended up getting married and moving back into Abington and renting a little cottage on the same property and eventually through many years I, I built a house behind the cottage and I'm here now Wow dang um, a couple of things kind of come up first thing is is uh, growing up on a horse farm what was that like what was that like well uh, yeah, I have some kind of, I have some funny pictures because I was like maybe a, a year and a half. I was already showing on horses on horseback. Um, that was my mother's love. I, I know my father was very interested in horses too. Some of the common interests that those two had when they were younger. But my mother was uh, just uh, infatuated with horses and uh, took it to a very you know high level. I mean we we were showing everywhere. She was breeding, training. Boarding uh, horses, raising them, everything, you know. And I, I uh, myself had uh, showed, uh, literally showed horses on uh, three different types of seat, hunt seat, saddle seat, western. Uh, I did a little bit of dressage and all that stuff. But right around, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, I, it really wasn't my thing anymore. And uh, <clears throat> I'm sure my mother wasn't happy. She wanted me to ride all, all my life, but... Uh, I preferred the two wheels on a, on a dirt bike than I did the horses. 
I said, I'm out. You know, I, I once, yeah. once I felt that, I was like, no, this is this is what I want to do. So, you know, that's when I started uh, sowing my oats, so to speak, in my own world. And, and from there, it was it was uh, rock and roll, uh, you know, uh, uh, infatuation, love affair with uh, rock and roll guitar. And uh, I did boxing and all my other different things. And and just uh, that's what started it. You know, I yeah. just had that teen angst and found my own ways to do things. And, and I was on my own. See you later. <laughs> Copy that. You know, not literal, Copy but, that. You know, in the, in the, in the brain sense, I was like, no, these are the things that I want to do, you know? So understood. You know? Understood. Yeah. I recently, uh, <clears throat> made the decision to, to move out of my mom's house and it's been, uh, oh, it's been almost six months now and it's like one of the best decisions I've ever made. Nothing against my mom, nothing against living at home, but you got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I live with mom still, you know, for quite a while, but, uh, you know, finding things that you love and you want to do on your own are, are a big thing of, uh, you know, really growing up. I mean, it was a little different. I mean, I, you know, we had over 16 acres of land there and, uh, you abutted many, many acres and that's all I, I was constantly I was never home. I was either in the woods or dirt bike riding or, you know, eventually I did I did something very similar to the, the studio I was showing you here. I had a little makeshift uh, rehearsal studio for all my bands. You know, I started playing guitar in, jeez, uh, I don't know, probably sixth, seventh grade. But by the time wow. I was in high school, I was trying to get bands together. And uh, yeah. my mother was, you know, always out doing something, but she was, she was very cool as far as open-minded and, and, uh, allowed my, my friends to come over and have a place to play. So that, you know, that's where I kind of, um, <clears throat> started learning everything was in my own house with as many band people I could get to come over. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's quite a, uh, a paradox from, you know, what I eventually, was tossed in the middle of which we'll we will get into <clears throat> sure sure um this kind of leads into my next question so um your dad your dad uh you know was in the army um it sounds it sounds like uh you know well first i want to back up here um do you know how your dad and your mom met do you know how they met again they were uh <clears throat> they were in the same you know high school same town um my father, I do believe, I, I could be wrong, but my mom's mother worked literally right down the corner from where I am right now. It was a place called Sunnyfields, a little, uh, I think it was a breakfast joint or a little restaurant or whatever. Um, but I know my father was working part-time either busing or dishes or something there. And uh, my mother's mother was working there and they kind of knew each other from there. It was a small town, you know, and, you know, my my father had the interest of horses, and uh, this was at the time when my father and mother were kind of in the same high school. My, obviously, my father was two years older, um, but that's kind of how they met, just, you know, around town. And, um, you know, eventually uh, my father did two years in high school in in the regular Abington High School, but then the, a Votech had opened up a couple towns over, and he ended up going. His last two years of high school were in the new Votech. And he was actually in the he was in the very first graduating class of the vo vocational technical school. What were his plans to uh, where were he, what was his plans you know um, 
in terms of like the vocational education, what was he specializing in? Well, then he was in automotive. Um, okay. But, you know, it's that really leads me down a crazy road because I know he had talked about when he got out of the Army that, um, you know, he was thinking about uh, becoming a state, state trooper. Um, but, you know, he had so many different, at, at a young age, it's so many different uh, likes or interests. You say likes and interests, but he did so many different things. I mean, hmm. martial arts, he was like a, a third degree brown belt, and I can't even remember what style Whoa. it was. You know, all before he went in the Army, uh, knew how to scuba dive. Whoa. Already. You know what I mean? It just all these things that I was finding out, you know, uh, again, he could ride horses. There's all these crazy things that he knew. Like, he'd go out shooting, I guess, he with my f mother's father early on to kind of smooth things over in a very young relationship. They made a couple plans to go out together and hang out, and they used to go out shooting. And even my grandfather was like, my mother's father, he was like, yeah, he had something that I, I never did. You know, he just had that certain things. And, you know, there's just so many different things that I I can't even... I'm sure I'll think about it, but... No uh, worries. As I go. But a there, jack of all trades. Well, that's what, I'm, that's what I mean. And, and at such a young age, you know, it's just kind of mind-boggling in a way that uh, the amount of information that he just kind of absorbed. And I think that kind of played into what, you know, where he went, the direction he went, yeah. you know? Do you know what his process was like for deciding to join up and, and, and go into the military? Well, I think there are a couple different things, I think, in this. The, obviously, his father was in the military. Uh, he, he comes from a family of four brothers. Oh. Uh, the oldest brother never went in. Um, second oldest... I, I might have these wrong, but one was in the 82nd and the other one was in the 101st. Whoa, airborne. Yep, and he went in and typical, you know, mentality. I'm sure it's because his father was in. I'm sure it's just the mentality of, of even the times, you know, and it was a little, It again, you know, that was all volunteer stuff. Mm -hmm. He didn't enlist. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't get, you know, drafted. He enlisted. Um, which was yeah. kind of un unheard of up here, up on the East Coast in, in Boston, you know, because if you really start to peel away the uh, layers of the onions, a lot of those SOG guys or SF guys that enlisted, you know, a lot of them were Southern boys. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, it was still very, you know, kind of, uh, it wasn't very conservative up here just as it is now. And, it, you know, it was very... Yeah. You know, still very liberal and um, kind of rare that you actually got somebody that would enlist from this area and, and uh, have that mentality. Sure. You mentioned uh, your grandfather. Um, your dad's dad was uh, in the military. Do you know anything about his service? Do you know anything about how what I, he did? You know, that's pretty bad. I, I really don't. I should, I should know. Um, that's okay. Both my grandpa fathers were in World War II. Okay. Um, I don't know. I know my mother's grandfather was uh, <clears throat> uh, on a PT boat in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. I don't know uh, my, my father's father. I don't know uh, what he did. I know he got a Purple Heart, um, but I don't know the details. Um, yeah. And it's an odd thing because, you know, and I, 
I don't want to glaze over this in a way, but the truth of the matter is, is that the those uh, two sides of the family, um, are, you know, just went separate ways. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we, you know, unfortunately, we weren't very close. There were some personal reasons here and there that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, life is takes weird turns sometimes. And uh, copy that. It's just, it's kind of, you know, I don't even know how to explain it. You don't have to if you don't want to. Well, it's not um, that I don't want to. I just it's just so hard yeah, to yeah. explain because it's, you know, I was, again, both of us, my mother and and myself, just felt like we were, not really included in a lot of stuff. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll fill in. I'm sure some of your questions coming up will probably tie some of this in. You know, so go ahead. Gotcha. Oh, hey, no worries. Um, moving back to to your dad so he enlisted went army went green beret um when when did he go overseas um you said uh, you were born in 66 nom is already going um in 66 when did uh when did your dad head over head over to vietnam yeah he wasn't there that long i'm pretty sure it was uh I'm going to say late August, early September of mm -hmm. 68. Mm -hmm. 68, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, as a matter of fact, he and the gentleman that went over with him, they were good friends. They went over at the same time, and they ended up getting on the same team. They were on, they mm -hmm. were in a training group together, and um, they went over in the same flight, you know, yeah. and, and went over there. And uh, if I recall... Um, there was a pretty heavy uh, sapper attack um, in August, mm -hmm. and uh, my father and this gentleman Kraus, uh, Brian Kraus, uh, they were actually re replacements for some wow. of the people that got killed. It's because, as a matter yeah. of fact, I was told by Kraus that when they were uh, first got to, uh, I want to say, Da Nang or whatever, that. Yeah. Wherever they were bunking in, bunking, they could still they 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 still had mortar on holes and blood yeah. and everything else right where they were, you know, sleeping from yeah. the attack. Yeah. Jeez, jeez, I think it was Da Nang that was hit. I, I'm pretty by, sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Da Nang that was hit pretty bad, um, which is kind of an interesting. Uh, decision made on the VC part. Let's hit the special forces compound. And needless to say, not a lot of them made it out, but, uh, there were casualties. Um, so coming into country as a replacement, um, what do you have, a, a you know, a final memory of your father, um, before he left? Do you have that? You know, um, for decades, I had one and didn't even realize it. Huh. This, this is why I can tell you, now you have to understand that <clears throat> not a lot of people will have memories at two years old. Yeah. You know, that's how old I was. I was a little over two years old. Um, but to answer the question, it was a very foggy memory that I had. And I specifically remember, in my mind, my father's father, 
taking me up to the Kitty Jump Tower at Fort Bragg and going off the zip line. I remember going up there, a little over two years old, and just hang on, and went down. Wow. And this is literally, this is no lie. So that's my, that was a memory that I had. It was very foggy, but I just, you know, again, my brain was, you know, it's my father's father. And decades, even after the, we'll get into this later, but the second funeral, 1990, mm -hmm. There was, uh, I don't know how long after that, but it was one sit-down evening. I was just chatting with my mother about it. And I said the same thing I just said to you to her. And she looked at me cross-eyed. She says, that was your father, <laughs> not your grandfather. So wow. all those years I was under the assumption because you're two years old. It's yeah. a murky, foggy, foggy memory. Yeah. You don't see a face. You remember a a uh, masculine figure older figure mm -hmm. and you know you grow up so long without that there you naturally think it can't couldn't be him you know you, not that i i am consciously thinking that but i'm just replacing it with the closest thing that i would think and come yeah. to find out it was my father what's and, the next Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's go ahead. all right. That's all right. Go ahead. All right. Um, what's the next memory that you have relating to to your dad? Um. Well, this is going to sound cold, but nothing. Mm -hmm. Um. The only thing I had was, you know, some stuff that was sent home you know, lots of different fatigues and, and stuff like that, some various medals and stuff. I had uh, a lot of FM manuals, and uh, I even have some of the uncensored ones. Oh, really? <laughs> Nobody's getting their hands on those. Copy that. <laughs> Copy that. That's cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I had even like a little, this was kind of cool, especially when I did the film, but a tiny little pocket daily diary type of thing. And uh, yeah. there were little, every once in a while, there's little writings in there from training. And uh, it was kind of eye-opening. And uh, mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of stuff in there that, at the same time, there was little sections in it that just said CT, CT, which I eventually found out was classified training. <laughs> and there was also a section in there that he was, you know, uh, really... Obviously, myself and my mother were on his mind, hmm. and he almost had a bad accident in training, and he put it in the in the diary. He says, I, I almost blew up some of my men today. I have to get Richie and Vicky off my mind. I could have killed somebody today. Hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of really good insight in there, but it's only little sections, a little paragraph here and there, yeah. a sentence here and there, or, you know... And um, the couple things I still don't know. I'm going to have to bend, a, you know, Tilt's ear or a couple other people there that have probably went through the same thing. But I'll, I'll figure it out yeah. eventually, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, all these it's, little, uh... like I said, all these little tokens of trinkets or books and, you know, everything was like, you know, I've said it a million times. I've said it in the film. You know, it's it's kind of like you're, you're reading about a fictional character. 
you know, I never, you know, I, I had no, nothing tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, when you talk about any other memories, the memories are the material things that I'm looking at. And we have very, very few pictures, very few, yeah. you know, so you look at every picture and you're constantly looking for something different in it. And it's just not hmm. there. Same with these items. Half the items, more, more than the items, I didn't even know what they were, you know. And uh, as a matter of fact, I spoke about it once. There was one uh, a dingy old little T-shirt. My my father was tiny, a tiny tiny guy. And uh, I remember when I was late high school, I could barely fit into any of his stuff. So, and I'm tiny. So. Uh, but I remember going through some of the stuff, and there's this old T-shirt. It was all yellow, yellow kind of old, just beat-up T-shirt. And it had this faded, like, weird word on it. Hmm. And I kept going, what the hell is it, you know? And look, it looked look like O, and then it looked like what looked like an F-O-F, and then a 5 or an S, and then there was some kind of weird three or something or, or look like another ass mm-hmm. but it was all faded well you know what i don't know if they did this but i put two and two together just just within the last few years and i think what it was i think it said ops 35 no oh. that's what i think wow. it was and i had no it took me years to go you know i bet that's a, now i don't have the t-shirt anymore I just remembered those faded marks out of memory. I mean, that thing was destroyed by moths and who knows what, right? And it was all beat up then anyway. And yeah. uh, I said, you know, I wonder. I wonder if they, you know, that's how they were getting assigned or something. If that's one of maybe some of the camps or, or whatever. Here, you yeah. sign off 35 here, you know, put that on your T-shirt. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea, but that's yeah. what it, that's what. I thought it was. It was the closest thing that I could think of, other than the word office, <laughs> like dunce cap. You know what I mean? It's, you know, who knows? Yeah. When did you guys, um, well, I mean, how old were you when you uh, received news that something had happened to your dad in Vietnam? Well, I don't know the exact date. Um, it was early. It could have been in 68 when the first one came by, but there was the uh, casualty officers came looking for my mother, um, but they came to my gran- uh, grandparents on her, her side of the family. They went there mm-hmm. first, and um, they were looking for her to tell her that he was missing. And I'm pretty sure that was either late, very late 68 or early 69. Because, I mean, it was November of 68 where the incident happened. It was the end of November. November 30th. So, you know, I had heard things like the standard procedure there anyway was to wait a couple weeks just in case somebody came walking out of the jungle or whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean, not that this, you know, they're not going to tell you anything anyway at that point. You know, Mm -hmm. they, they knew that, you know, the eyewitnesses knew that they... There was no way anybody was getting out of that. So um, what did they tell your mother? Did they tell her that he was MIA or did the or did they were they uh, definitive on that very first notification that he was KIA? 
The KIA, the notification of KIA was never mentioned. Really? Yep. They kept it missing in action. So he was, so you guys were uh, notified MIA. Yep. Until, oh. until, seven, until 75, I think it was late 74, give or take, my mother had gone back and asked them to reopen the case and let them, you know, make a determination. Because at this mm -hmm. time it was uh, 69, 70, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, what, 6, 7 years. Yeah. You know? And so they, they decided to say a presumption of death. Yeah. Was there, that's how they were. And that's when it led into the first funeral. Yeah. No body, no proof, just a funeral. How'd your mom take it? Getting the news of MIA and then for years later not not receiving any clarification. Well, again, in the film, she, she kind of says it for herself. She goes, when she first was told, she had just recently had a letter sent home saying that he was injured. He admitted getting injured. And um, so she just thought that they had it wrong. That he, they were confusing his injury with with something else. So, you know, it was kind of, everything was so secret anyway. Yeah. You know, I mean, even even back then in the training, he couldn't tell her what he, he was doing. So she was kind of used to the secrecy. Yeah. So I guess... Um, putting things together in her own head, you know. What in your in your own words um tell the audience uh what we now know happened to your dad. <clears throat> okay, well, I guess in layman's terms, it's just better. Uh we all know that uh Sog is a highly classified covert situation uh and nobody was yeah. going to admit that we were involved in that and any admittings of that would probably well not probably but definitely would uh pique curiosity and questions um which is you know also probably why they uh you know yes they didn't get a lot of medals but they didn't uh pursue uh Awarding medals because they're going to award medals to some some place we weren't supposed to be. We can't. We would acknowledge stuff that you know weren't supposed to be there. Um, and again, this is volunteer stuff. You know, this was all their their choice. But what happened was that in <clears throat> November uh, November thirtieth, nineteen sixty-eight, my father's uh, regular team, RT Maryland Recon Team Maryland, which is some of the you know. This work that I've done, I've concluded that um, that uh, him and, and Bryant Krauss were on downtime because they had done more than their share of missions, and um, all of a sudden a volunteer type of thing came uh, down last minute, and um, that mission was uh, under the code name Eldest Son, which was to uh, insert. Uh, booby-trapped ammunition mm -hmm. and uh, they needed to <clears throat> in this case it was mortar rounds uh, there were two different names at different times I I've heard many different things that it was either different times or the the size of the ammo dic dictated what it was called um, 
but Italian Green and I think Pole Bean was another one, but it was all mm -hmm. under the Eldest Son uh, project. Um, and uh, for those who don't know, Eldest Son, I do believe uh, the CIA had specialists maybe in Okinawa or something, but if some of these teams or whatever would find caches of, of uh, ammo or whatever, um, they would send them to, uh, I believe it was Okinawa, and these specialists would take them apart, booby trap them, put them all back together so you couldn't tell. And these, uh, these pieces of ammo were uh, peppered into different, uh, yeah. distributed into, into the enemy's uh, arsenal. So uh, anyway, there were mortar rounds. <clears throat> I do believe there was maybe a dozen cases. Uh, this this uh, mission was attempted a couple different times, and both times it was uh, turned back uh, by weather. Uh, Lynn Black, as a matter of fact, was one of the ones. Uh, Blackjack was on the one very right before this. The one got turned down. It was uh, also John McGovern. Uh, he was also one of the guys. Um, there was a few other guys involved in all this, but anyway, it was a last-minute volunteer. Hey, I need guys. I think it was Clyde Sincere that uh, you know said, "Hey, gentlemen, I need uh, some volunteers." So my father was one of them, and so was Art Bader. And uh, Art Bader was on RT Maryland with my father and Kraus. And um, Kraus was the uh, Bader was the only one from his regular team that was on that volunteer mission. Well, everybody else was uh, picked and chose or whatever. If uh, <clears throat> if you if you already had your CIB or whatever, that might have dictated some of it. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, in my film, the late and great Eldon Bargewell uh, <clears throat> gave me a quick interview about this because he was there uh, while Clyde was getting volunteers, and uh, um, he even said that you know there were some new guys that they were just gonna, it was supposed to be an easy missions, you know, half a day, if that, which is nothing for them. Get over to the, the site, uh, you know, predetermined on the uh, Ho Chi Minh Trail and drop it somewhere where they think that uh, the enemy will find it. And uh, I'm sure something would have been like, um, you know, maybe fake a firefight just to get their attention and get the hell out. So they'd come and find the ammo and, and distribute it through their, uh, through their ranks. Um, but, uh, there were, from what I understand, there was also two other escorting choppers, um, but most of the men got on one chopper, which is not a normal thing to do. So there were <clears throat> six other Green Berets and three Vietnamese pilots, uh, uh, King V, CH-34. They made their, uh, they took off, made their, uh, their attempt to go to the determined uh, site. <clears throat> and before they got there, they ran into uh, <clears throat> AAA uh, fire. I could be wrong. It's probably one of those heavy areas that they talk about, Oscar 8, something like that, you know, where they had so many um, uh, AAA in the canopy, and uh, it was a very nasty area. But um, one of the uh, escorting gunships uh, was a gentleman that I got the honor of interviewing and uh, he said that it didn't take a direct hit but some shrapnel hit it and um, they uh, they went into a spiral it didn't you know his eyewitness said it didn't uh, his accounting said it didn't explode in the air but it went in a spiral and kind of slid into the side of a uh, an area 
and um, within seconds, the thing exploded. And uh, he said it was like a white phosphorus type of explosion. Yeah. And uh, more than likely that uh, the root cause of it was the booby-trapped ammunition that they had on board just went up. So when they hit the ground, first of all, he says nobody could have survived that because of how high they hit. But uh, when the ammo went, that was that was it. And so that was their demise. Seven Green Berets and, and three South Vietnamese pilots. And they tried to, uh, they tried, uh, you know, not that they tried to go in right away, but uh, there was so many reports of uh, the North Vietnamese already knew where the chopper was and they were trying to surround it. So going in was, you know, kind of futile. Yeah. But that's something we didn't find out. You know, we heard stragglings of that story for many years, but <clears throat> it was never... Well, I always heard it was either it was coming back after the attempt, which wouldn't make sense seeing the the explosion. Um, the eyewitness said that the <clears throat> the explosion, the smoke was like it wasn't consistent with like helicopter fuel um, or anything like that. It was more of a you know white phosphorus is a burns differently. <clears throat> so um, so that wouldn't make sense because if they were coming back, that stuff would have been offloaded already. So they were going in. and But for years we heard different things. You know, I've heard, you know, how many people I've heard tell me that they saw my father or they know he's captured or they got pictures of him. And they, I've heard all this bullshit for, you know, since I was a little, a wee little lad. And, uh, you know, I, I get very cynical when people talk about, you know, I knew this, or I was there, and you know, I believe me, I've heard it all. And uh, yeah. I, unless you have damn proof, <laughs> you know, I don't want to hear it. You know, so hooking up with the real guys was something that uh, you know I, I can't, I can't change. And I hope I, I'm trying desperately to get over to Sore again, but I'm broke as a joke. So I'm, I'm hoping I can get there again. Um, hopefully, I can drag my son this time. You know get him over there and meet some of these guys but uh it's uh it's kind of like a new family you know and uh our first meetings were uh very apt there's a lot of apprehension there was a lot of emotion some some of us didn't know how to quite approach each other for good reason on both sides you know it's just it's a heavy thing you know but uh wouldn't change it you know gotcha so anyway, so, um, after that many years, that's, yeah. what, that's what happened. Uh, like I said, in a nutshell, we kind of heard tricklings of this, but nothing definite. Um, a lot of questions, a lot of different scenarios. Um, but in nine, uh, late 89, I think it was, well, actually earlier, 89, I got two phone calls, one from my grandfather, from my father's father, and uh, oh, Lieutenant Colonel Jim Cole, I think. Yes. And I talked to him on the phone and uh, pretty much got the same statements about that they found the crash site, found remains, and they are uh, fairly certain that they are my fa some are my father's. <clears throat> and at the same time, there was a uh, 
uh, independent uh, forensic um, investigation going on. So it wasn't just the uh, army labs in Hawaii and all that. It was, we had our own done. And uh, my father was identified by two teeth. No DNA, just teeth, matching up dental records. Wow. And there was like so, um, 100 and something, 200 and something other bone fragments, and I don't think any of them were more than four or five inches long. Wow. So um, when was the first funeral held? The first one was in 75. That's when, you know, they had a presumption of death. Um, that's when some of the benefits started from, from my mom. She used that money actually to do the down payment on the uh, the horse farm in Pembroke, and uh, Pembroke, Mass. And uh, that's what got that started. I think, I think it was more of a, a fresh start for her, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but again, it's not, you know, that's something, a fresh start like that is... You don't really have a fresh start because there's nowhere yeah. to go. It's like you're just nothing but, you know, questions. There was no solid, yes, this is it, and now you can move on. You know, I think it was still even hard for her uh, in 90, you know. And, now, you know, even in 90, there were still times that we were put aside. Yeah. You, know, you know, if you go back and find all the, News footage and all the interviews, 90% of them, we are not involved. And uh, a couple of them were, and that's because some people had said, hey, you know, they saw what was going on and said, what? what? Yeah. What's talking to him? What's talking yeah. to her? You know? So, and, and at the time, to be honest with you, and even still, I don't know all the answers. Some people knew more than I did, but when this all happened, I was, you know, I was basically thrown into it in the middle of it all. In years I hadn't been any involvement at all. Yeah. So I was, you know, I say it in the movie. I was a long-haired eighty rock and roll guitar player, uh, you know, trying to trying to do the best I could to be that uh, the rock and roll icon with the long hair and everything. And uh, I got tossed in the middle of a a, a sea of green berets and and uh, White House dignitaries and everything else. And uh, it was the craziest di dichotomy you could ever imagine let's talk about that let's talk about the second the second funeral and the events leading afterwards this uh it's just incredible what um what, what as you've started to touch on this dichotomy what happened afterwards so lead us through that well i think <clears throat> now that I look back at it, I think I had a stigma in my mind about it, and it was probably the unknown, um, meaning that I didn't think somebody in my world, coming from, you know, the long hair stuff, the, the music, the rock and roll, um, I didn't think somebody in that world could fit into what I was involved in because it was so far, you know, away from me. Um, <clears throat> so that was very, very, very nerve wracking. And, uh, and I've told people, I don't, I don't mean to say this for sympathy, but a few months before I even heard about this, I started getting this the, weird, the weirdest stuff going on in my world. I came down with some kind of weird neurological thing. 
And I haven't even been 100% since then. But, I mean, it was strange. I, uh, to give you an idea of what I was going through, <clears throat> I had, like, um, uh, motor function. Was there, there was no concentration. Uh, every time I would get into any physical activity, the only way I can tell you is, have you ever had a high fever? 102, 103, you know, something really, really nasty. Well, if you mix that, how about have you ever been um, almost asleep, but not quite? Or when you wake up, you're so foggy and you're not quite awake, you're just like really lethargic? Well, put those two feelings together, all right? You don't have the heat and the sickness from the fever, but that's what every day looks like that's what it was and every time I would go into any do any physical thing if I if I was to read something if I was to watch TV if I was to get into any physical exercise and I was constantly exercising you know again I was music into music and everything but you know I came from boxing and very athletic and, and stuff like that so I had all these things that I would love to do but all of a sudden this hit me and it gradually kept getting worse so every time I try to do what I do, I couldn't even play guitar. I lost no. my job because of it. I couldn't work. And I had I had two spinal taps. I had over 200 and something different blood tests, uh, brain tests, all this other stuff. But point was, all this stuff started happening, and then I get the phone calls. So all throughout this whole thing, this is what I was dealing with while I was going through this. So... I was so detached and that just made everything worse. I mean, that's an emotional, you know, Ferris wheel. Yeah. I mean, you're just like that without being sick. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people said, oh, it's because of the emotions and this and that. I said, well, well wait a minute. It happened before I even got the info. So it can't, you know, unless there's some kind of weird, you know, powers that be that's going on, I can't directly relate it to that because I didn't find out until after I was sick that yeah. all this was going to happen. That my, my I didn't get the phone calls until after this started happening. So that's what I was dealing with at the time. And so like you talk about the dichotomy and everything else, I was trying to <clears throat> learn all these, you know, acronyms and everything else. And I'm, people are talking about stuff that I had no clue about. So when you put it all together, it's at the time, it's this incredible insecurity about do I fit in with who my father was hmm. and how can I even, I can't even connect with these guys because I can't even think right now. I can barely stand up and, you know, every 15 minutes I had to go and sit down or chill out or go somewhere where there was nothing going on because I was just freaking out and uh, it just it just took my nerves and just shot them to all hell and um, <clears throat> I mean I didn't have the <laughs> I didn't have a very fluffy life uh, since I was very very young so you know I had a lot of anxiety and stuff going on as it was and then all this stuff happened and it just you know threw me for a loop yeah and uh, so that's you know, that's since then I've been, you know, like I said, I haven't been a hundred percent, but I never have since, but I've just pushed, pushed myself through it because nobody gave me answers. 
copy all that. those doctors all those tests everything Lyme disease tests all this other crap you know I uh, whatever it was I just haven't been the same since but I've pushed myself through it and mm -hmm. uh, you know I just deal with it day by day and and uh, you know my memory's fried because of it you know I I will learn to like even this subject it sounds so bad there's so many people that like you know like maybe yourself and 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 people that uh, you know you would think that somebody's father that was in SOG would you know this this guy would know everything about it but man there are things that I keep forgetting about it and it's not intentional you know and you don't want to be a jerk but there's so many people out there that know so much more than I do and I think half of it's because they can retain it better <laughs> you know what I mean I was just uh, you know my brain's just fried because of all that stuff you know yeah but I've done what I can you know I try to I try to look at this like if uh, if I don't forget, I, at least I have the people that I can call and say, hey, you know, and everything that I do is out of respect for these guys uh, because they're kind of my pseudo father now, you know, and uh, you don't do anything to tarnish memories or names um, because I consider it a part of my family now. And uh, so you don't, you know, I don't, say that I tread lightly but you know you do unto others as you you know yes. will want them to do to you and uh, I think there's a, a lot to be said for that and um, if I can trust them they can trust me that type yeah. of thing you know so I think uh, you know if there's anything like I said that I'll forget or I got questions I just make a phone call or send a text and, and uh, you know Tell them flat out, sorry, my brain's fried. I couldn't remember that. But you know what? During this whole thing, and even with the film that we might talk about, I have actually put some of the, the questions uh, together. You know, because there were a lot of people that didn't write, really know that my father was on Recon Team Maryland. You know, so I was able to piece some of this together. You know, small bits, but, you know, really made me feel kind of proud that I was able to piece some of these together and, and kind of help, you know, Put these little tiny puzzles into the place because they're all trying to do that you know and not everybody has it right and you can't expect them to memories years no records you know it's natural to to forget these things and uh, absolutely you know not to mention the stress level that oh, they, yeah. were, they were going through you know yeah so you know i did a, a small part and kind of connected a few dots so. Yeah. I think what's incredible is that, uh, you know, um, whatever barriers you're, you're dealing with aside, your work with 21 years of folded flag, um, I mean, I really want to talk about that. I really, that's how we, that's to. how we met. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's how we met, um, tilt, tilt Meyer, John Stryker Meyer put us in contact, um, because of this project you're working on. So in your own words, um, I mean, well, just to let people know, 21 Years of Folded Flag is a film you made, um, you know, about this incredible story, about, you know, all of it. And when did that become an idea for you? Uh, I know, um, you know, for the audience, uh, there's a guitar behind you. You've talked about your rock and roll uh, <laughs> life. You know, I'm seeing a music. That's right. I'm seeing a music background. When did film become a, a when did this pop into your mind and and how did that journey start who knows 
honestly, uh, I'll, I'll try to take you through it. <clears throat> yeah, please do. And as we were touching on about the respect, and I'll try to keep this going in the right direction sometimes. Again, my brain goes in different directions. So bear no with worries. Me. That's what I'm here for. So in I got you. We were just talking about that funeral. <clears throat> Everybody. So many people are just, man, you got such an incredible story. I mean, here I am, a musician, and with all the hype of this thing going on, I literally had the 15 minutes of fame. Everybody around here was calling me up. Oh, my God, that's real. Oh, my God, this. everybody knew it. Everybody. Yeah. Not just around here. It was huge. But there was something in my head. Everybody's saying, oh, you got a great story. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I'm like... First of all, out of respect, I didn't have a clue. And I said, you know, it just wasn't right to sit there and go, okay, let's go grab Joey Porter. Let's get, let's get on this. <clears throat> there was something personal about it deep down that I said, you know what? It's not going to do anybody any respect. I don't even have a, a desire to do that because I have to learn. I have to get involved with this. I have to do this for me and for my father and for those guys and for everybody involved, you know. I have to learn about it. I can't go spewing about it. I don't know. It's not respectful to do that. I had to, and I say exactly this in my film, I might be paraphrasing, but I didn't have to learn about it, but I should have. And if I was going to go blab and shoot my mouth off, yeah, that would have been fine because I'm a gold star son that, you know, his father was killed in this highly classified unit and blah, 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 right? Not to belittle it, but I could have got away with that with no problem. But in here and to the gentlemen that were with him, I didn't think that was right. I wanted to give myself time to learn at least what I could about it, to let it all sink in. If I didn't take the time to do that, I don't think I would have been right inside. Whether I knew that or not, I don't know. But this is what I'm getting at is all these people are telling me this, and for years. You know, but a lot of it, I don't know if I was ready to, to face it or not. But I didn't know how to. And there's a lot of time barriers, too. I mean, now I'm, now I'm married. I'm divorced. I got a very young son. Years, you know, decades have gone by now, but then I started thinking about it. I started seeing the books being written. I started seeing this. I'm like, wait a minute, I thought this was classified. You know what I mean? And that's another thing because there were people telling me that this is still classified. I had people, <laughs> it took me years to find out. Um, one of the gentlemen uh, is a David Mora, I think that's his name. I remember him in 1990 took me aside, and it was the there was one funeral here in Abington. Then it was a coal uh, mingled um, funeral down in uh, National, Arlington National. When I was down there, this gentleman I'll never forget him. He just had the suit on, and he looked like the epitome of like like a Hollywood CIA guy. You know, like he'd wow. be that perfect role. You know, and, uh, and he took me aside. He goes, "No one ever told you what happened." I said, no. And he's the one that broke it down in details for me. Very first. He goes, this stuff is all classified. He told me. He goes, we all know it. But so I Was this myself, in 1990? This was in 1990. Was this in? Yeah. 
about three months after the first uh, the funeral in Abington, they had the uh, common burial. They have all the names of the other guys on the, including my father, because their remains were you know all all together when they were found. Anyway, so <clears throat> what I was saying is like now I also have this thing in my head where you know I have classified info. It's not like I want to go and you know I told a couple people about it, close friends. But, you know, I never talked a lot about it, you know. Some some of the guys I even talked about were young guys that were in the military that I was working with. I said, oh, military, we, it took a while for me to get to know them. But when I did, I started talking about it. They didn't believe me. I'm like, yeah, right. You know, that type of shit, you know. So, yeah. Whatever. So what made me eventually, so some people started calling us dumb. Some people started reaching out. Brian Cross reached out to me early 90s, I think it was, a couple of years after the funeral. And I was floored on the phone. He was telling me details. And I remember reading about some of it in my father's letters. And I'm like, whoa, this guy can't be telling me bullshit. Something, something is clicking here. And I'd ask other people in military, and they're like, oh, no, everybody wants to say they're in SOG. It sounds like bullshit. It sounds like this. So now I don't know, even know to believe this guy. This guy falls off the face of the earth for another 10 years. All right? So there was that day that I said to my mom, she's the only connection I have, right? And I asked her a simple question, don't even know what the question was. I said, uh, hey, mom, didn't you say this about my father? You know, now listen, we get older, you know, can't remember, and that's what happened, innocently. Yeah. She says, you know, I, I don't remember. Hmm, Okay. Well, another good chunk of time goes by, and now my son is looking at me in my eyes. Poses the same question. Says, hey, didn't you say this about your dad? I said, you know what? I can't remember. That's what kicked me in the ass. Yeah. So now you want to talk about how the movie and the idea. All this was, was I have stacks of stuff. Now, you know, by this time, I, my father's parents have uh, both passed. I had uh, gotten some of the stuff left to me that they had, et cetera. And I said, you know, I should really start grabbing some of this stuff. Old VHS tapes, everything. You know, it's in my basement. Starting to, I at least want to get it digitized. Yeah. Try to preserve it. So here's a really crazy thing. I was introduced to a gentleman who does rock and roll videos. He's pretty successful he's done boxing shows uh he's done it uh, that his boxing show was international you know wow and uh you know he and again a, a musician friend of mine introduced me you know uh, he's this is rudy childs and he's i'm shaking his hand richard fitz and he goes richard fitz so are you related to that uh, soldier that was missing for like 21 years i said you know yeah kind of i'm his only son you know well come to find out this guy's parents were good friends of my father's parents. Whoa. And come to find out, he says, yeah, you know, he goes, I was living down in Maryland at the time that, you know, he had the funeral and everything. So I went to D.C. and I went to the common burial in the Arlington National. I put together a little video for them and everything years and years ago. I'd never met the guy. He's weird. I'm meeting him through the music world, right? Totally crazy. Yeah. So I said, hey, man, can you help me out? I just want to kind of digitize the stuff. And, you know, that's how it was. He's a mile and a half from my house. So I go up <laughs> to his place, right? 
And the poor bastard, I got a literally a Rubbermaid tote full of VHS <laughs> tapes and all, all this shit, right? And he's giving me the eye roll. He's like, oh, here we go, right? You know? Yeah. And, uh, this is no lie. Reaches down in. First VHS tape he pulls out was the tape he did for my grandparents 20 years ago. Oh, my before. God. I had never known. Is that crazy or what? So that's how it started. And so Meant we started be. doing this, and we were getting together here and there, and I was telling them, I said, you know, someday I'd like to do a, a documentary or something, and everybody tells me you got a good story and blah, blah, blah. So a few meetings into it, he finally said, yeah, I'm in. You know, let, let's do it. We had no idea, neither did he. As a matter of fact, he didn't tell anybody he was doing it because it was so different. Plus, there was no records. There's no footage. There's yeah. no this, there's that. So that's how this happened. And all of a sudden, it started growing some legs. And, uh, you know, we did a couple of unfinished versions. We tried it out at a, you know, small uh, film festivals and stuff like that. But sure enough, the first one we entered, it uh, became a best best documentary or something like that. That was an unfinished version. Wow. It wasn't even done. So, you know, it's... He had his own ideas about how some of it good. No, I've never done film. Never. I needed somebody with the the tech, the expertise in the, in the tech area to be able to put it together. Um, <clears throat> but I don't think he really understood how much of a concept I was able to work with. Um, again, there was nothing on paper. Just kind of put it together as we went. Now, here's another thing. There was stuff I was finding out as I was doing this. Sure. All of a sudden, I find myself traveling. I'm going to meet sod guys. I'm going to I find I'm finding stuff out as this is all happening, and some guiding force that was just going, "Hey, you got to go here. Hey, you got to go." It's just weird, but it's funny because now that the film is f finished, it's almost like now I want to do another version. Whether it's a second part, I think what I what I've already started doing is actually writing a book. Wow. And I did start it. I got about 10,000, maybe 12,000 words so far. But I had to put everything on hold, as I showed you earlier. The, the studio has been all broken down. I don't have the creative space, but I'm getting there. Um, mm -hmm. But once I get that back, I can get my head back into it. But I think not to belittle what we have with the film now, but there's just no space to put in everything that I found out. Yeah, so it's got to be a completely different like thought process. And I think this time I'm going to kind of be open. And a lot of people that are the best-selling authors I've talked to, you know, they say you got to be really truthful. You got to be, you got to open up and expose good, bad, and indifferent. And I think uh, it's not going to be a very happy book, but it's going to get into the direction that my life took and what happened. And it's, you know, not fault of anybody, but, you know, if you don't have a guidance there, people will be amazed at what a father figure can actually do. Good, bad, or indifferent. You, if you don't have that, and not to mention, we didn't have any advocacy. We didn't have any help. A lot of times, again, as I said earlier, you know, you, if they're going to offer you help, that means they're going to admit to something. And that's at least how it came across especially in that hmm. older, is like, you know, there wasn't a lot of help there. Yes, we did get some military benefits, but, you know, case in point, like, I still was, you know, a lot of direction 
I, I, you know, I was kind of a lost puppy in a way, you know, and uh, there was a lot of negative things that happened in my life that, uh, like I said, I'm going to get into in the book, but expose some things that uh, I think you'd be surprised that I'm even still breathing. And um, it was not good stuff. And there are yeah. days that I have that are dark, but I think I want to put that in there to let people understand that, you know, these things uh, sometimes can be pretty negative, but in a way, again, I don't, I don't look for sympathy, but you also have to, I think some of these people have to understand that there are sacrifices that people in my shoes go through too. Yeah. And uh, maybe you should kind of look at it and appreciate it a little different, you know, and kind of I, realize um, these things, you know. I know that it's important to have you here in this space. You know, it's hard for me to kind of explain, but um, we met. We worked together. Um, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, getting to know you in just the short time we had. Um, and, you know, Tilt, um, you know, really exemplifies this. And since he's a mutual, you know, acquaintance of ours, um, I'll use him as an example. Tilt lifts up his fellow veterans. He lifts them up in his books, and I mean, the man has written multiple books, even in the books that are about him, and I mean air quotes, they're about him, 50% of the book is about other guys' stories, you know, across the fences like that. It's And, and it's, it's really the SOG, I mean, John Plaster wrote SOG books, that, that's how I got introduced to SOG history, and John Plaster's books for the most part are about other guys, other guys' stories. Uh, he did write an autobiography. But what I'm saying is there's this culture in the SOG community that it's like lifting up other people's stories to support. So I don't know. I, I just thought, and it's also an incredible opportunity to talk about just what you're talking about, the impact the Secret War had. You know, and it wasn't just the guys. It what didn't happen in a vacuum even though the U.S. Uh, government wished it did. They had them sign non-disclosure forms. Um, it didn't happen in a vacuum because those guys left people at home. John Stryker Meyer talks about how his trash was getting looked through to make sure he wasn't yeah. writing home about it. Yeah. His family knew something was going on. Um, even after the war, 20 years, non-disclosure agreement couldn't talk about it. And he said it was the community that helped him get through he was lucky enough that there was another trenton new jersey guy who had gone into sog and they would meet together and talk in a corner of a bar and they had each other um you know the sog community and it's just when i'm when i in my own way am trying to tell this story and and get this some some bandwidth with our modern society um so to speak i just knew that if you were willing and uh, I'm just so grateful that you have been. It's like, you know, we need to share this part of it because you're right. It isn't all sunshine and roses. And it isn't even all guys doing incredible things in the jungle that just make great war stories. And God knows there are amazing stories um, that really talk about the sacrifice, the honor, and the contribution these men made not only to the war in Vietnam, but to our national story. I just kept thinking, 
you know, I really want to have Rich on the show to give him space to just talk, you know, and, and I don't care. I, I didn't have a vision for what you were going to talk about or I just wanted to hear whatever you had to say because I knew it would just be the honest truth um, of what it's like to lose a dad to the secret war. I mean, you guys didn't even know what happened to him 21 years and that's where 21 years of folded flag came from. And if the, and, and another thing I want to add is that, you know, you're talking about all the things you were going through, both, both physically and emotionally when you were going through this in 1990 and what, it, and how surreal it was to be interacting with these guys and be wondering whether or not you, you fit in and whatnot. Um, you know, I just, I don't know. I just want to say that, um, you, you fit in here for sure. And this, you know, and, and I know that, that you're part of Tilt's community because, you know, he reached out to me, um, you know, for the rollout of 21 years of flag and brought me in on the loop. And that's how we met, um, you and I, but, um, I also just wanted to say that here on the modern military history podcast, it's not just it, as I said, didn't happen in a vacuum. And, um, and you definitely have a place here and I'm just, and I mean, I'm, I just wanted to take this space to just thank you again for making your time. I know, I know that it wasn't easy for you and I just really appreciate it. I just wanted to make that space here. Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's fine. Actually, <clears throat> it's actually an honor and <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the, the, the weird thing about this is there's, there's always two sides. Yeah. I, <clears throat> Given the opportunity to talk about this stuff, in a way, it <clears throat> not bragging rights, but it's you know I get to talk about my dad and my story, and and I love to do that. I love to talk. Uh, you know, I, uh, <clears throat> I I'm a t typical Leo. I love the the spotlight. But there's a weird thing about this that even when I talk about a movie or do other things or do a screening or and, and answer questions. <clears throat> the last one, especially one, the lady that did our last live stream, uh, well, I had a, a good friend of mine, Oscar Mike Radio, Travis Proddington. Um, he helped me do the live stream. He teamed up with Oscar Mike Radio and uh, Danielle, a little dose of, of Danny is her show. Yeah. And uh, she, she is a Marine mom. But she noticed it right away, and I knew it, but I never really thought of it consciously. But she said, you know, your as soon as the movie started coming on, your demeanor just changed. She said instantly. And she goes, It's almost like you have to relive it again. And I said, You're exactly right. And consciously I don't think of it like that. But when it's there and I'm talking about it or something, especially you know, the movie was doing the movie was I'm not I'm like out of my body in a way. This is the, this is going to sound weird, but this okay. is the job. This is the goal. Turn the switch on, do the job yeah. and get it done. So the emotions and everything don't really come out. But after it was done, and a few times I finally get to sit back and watch it. And it's like, wow, I'm, I'm going through the whole damn thing again, you know. And uh, sometimes it's not fun. And uh, so it's not, 
talking about it's one thing, but there are times where all of a sudden I'll just get a little, whew, you know, and uh, I'll get a little spacey, and I know what's going on. My head's just, you know, something triggered me, and I'm off in la-la land, and, and it's not, you know, sometimes it's not easy, you know. Yeah. And any grieving, that's another thing. I do get emotional and, and, and upset about it sometimes, but you don't know what you're grieving. That's the, the craziest thing is like you don't have somebody like this is the way I put it to I explain it. I said, listen, good friends or whoever I'm talking to yourself or whatever, if you've had your parents in your life or your father in this case, whatever, and regardless if you're really close or not, okay, not, let's not even go there. The fact is you've got a physical person that's been there since day one, right? And I don't give a shit if you're divorced or not. Most cases, you're at least seeing him. You know they're there, what, what not, right? So if that person dies after so many years of you having that there and you're used to it, that, to me, is probably 10 times more difficult because it's tearing away something that's always been there, okay? With me, I have this weird emotional stuff that I can get really down about, but but what is it? I've never had a chance to bond with with my father. You know what I mean? And I don't mean to make this like feel bad for me. I'm telling you that the flat out truth is that why all of a sudden do I get like that? Yeah. You know, it's hard to, and some people say that it's just simply the grief of not knowing. I guess, but it still doesn't register that with me. It's just, you know, I, I don't understand where it's coming from sometimes. So that makes it even more questionable and difficult because you can't pin it down. Like psychologically, or you, you go and lay on the couch and you have somebody analyze your, your head. You're like, well, I can say it all you want, but I'm not sure if I'm going to buy it. You know, I don't really get why I'm, I get upset. You know, it's, it's just really weird, you know. But I think it's just a culmination of everything that's, you know, from that, all the crap that went on in my world, and then, you know, maybe even to a point where you get, as you grow up and you, you things sink in differently. Yeah. A lot more different mature way of looking at things. And I don't know if maturity means that you're able to tap into those motions more. Maybe. I don't know. You know, I don't know the meaning of that, but something's definitely different, you know. Maybe I finally got some closure, though. That's yeah, thing. I am. Um, you know, personally, I I have not gone through anything remarkably or, or anything markedly similar. Um, what I can say is that both my grandfathers were in the Second World War. One of them was in the 16th Infantry Regiment of the 1st Infantry Division and, and came in as a replacement late in the war. He won a Purple Heart um, when he he was near a landmine blast. And um, that has that story has carried on just through the generations. Um, I, I am lucky that I have some of his artifacts. I never got to meet him. He passed away long before I was ever born. And my second grandfather was in the 26th Infantry Division. He uh, landed on the beaches of Normandy after D-Day and came in um, and fought through Normandy. And he ended up being in the Battle of the Bulge. 
He um, somehow evaded capture when his entire unit was annihilated um, during the Battle of the Bulge, and he uh, he passed away um, at a young age um, due to due to uh, cirrhosis of the liver. He 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 was a he was an alcoholic, and um, my family um, on my dad's side told me that you know the war definitely affected him, but. In, in a way, um, I've never been able to connect with either one of these men, and um, my journey to honor their memory has been to try to preserve their story as best as I can. So it's in this vein, and I'm not at all saying that I have anything to compare to, to the sacrifice your family has made, but what I see is your devotion to, you know, per- personal closure is one thing, and I think that's incredibly important. I also see you preserving not only the memory of your father, but the memory of men like your father. Because I just keep thinking about SOG had such a high casualty rate. It had such a high casualty rate. And um, how many how many people, wives, girlfriends, and children who, who were left behind? And what does that look like for them? It's not just war stories and um you know happy happy tales so not that war stories are happy but um i just really you know you you being able to come on here and talk candidly about this um just brings that aspect of the real reality you know to to so that people can understand and it is such it and it honors not only the the dead but the living as well because i know that the sog guys that i have had the privilege and and it's kind of an out-of-body experience for me to work with sog guys i'll tell you that right now after reading about them since i was a young guy and you know the, the amount to which it honors them because if you've ever spoken with anybody who any veteran but especially it seems sog guys like we're talking about you know tilt and his devotion to lift up other stories in through through his um you know he's 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 becoming somewhat well known and god bless him for that and he is using that to lift up everybody he can um and he's really generous with his time but uh you know um it's my it's my privilege to be a part of that but i see you participating in that as well so we're i think you know i think we're reaching kind of a natural ending point here I just wanted to give you the space um, as we tie things off here. How do people reach you? How do people reach your your film, 21 Years of Folded Flag? And how can we forward the conversation in regards to your incredible journey? Um, Well, you can always reach out to me. uh, You know, as you know, I'm a little uh, tech illiterate at times. I'm getting there. Uh, Social media. Copy that. You know, my thing, my, my thing's been Facebook because that's the thing I could learn at the mm-hmm. time years ago. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm spread thin. So I tend to, you know, everybody's on Instagram now and I'm still not used to that. If you want to reach out to me personally on Facebook, that's fine. Uh, Richard A. Fitz Jr. Counter. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, counter's a little, little silly name I came up with. Well, let's put it this way. To go back to the film real quick. We had to last minute do some reenactment. So I, myself, my son, good friend of mine, jumped in. 
for a place in Vermont, um, another um, military simulations place. Nick Nick Diaz runs it, uh, but he was kind enough to help out with the field. <clears throat> but we were actually using live ammo on that one. And uh, anyway, but we thought it would be a kick to give ourselves nicknames like the Sog guys did. Yeah. Names, nicknames. So mine ended up being counter, counterfeits, you know. So mm -hmm. that's how I got that, if anybody asks. But that's on my Facebook. There's also uh, the Richard Allen Fitz um, documentary, 21 Years page. Uh, I try to keep up with those. I am on Instagram. Again, don't know how to use it that well. But that's <laughs> like, I think it's just 21 years of folded flag or something like that. Uh, the film can be purchased. I can, you know, if you want to get in touch with me through there, yes, you can purchase it directly through me. I usually ask for like a, a donation for the GoFundMe thing, which will probably go mm -hmm. for either distribution or the next step of the book or whatever. Um, it's like 15 bucks, something like that. Or you can go to my producer's uh, website, which is uh, spirosvideo.com, and just okay. look under documentaries. You can get it right from him, too. <clears throat> um, as far as me telling the story or whatever the second quest part of your question was, um, try to continue the story, try to tell it, you know, I'm always willing to, you know, especially things opening up more, um, you know, I'll take it personally to you. If you want to help fund me, get over to do a screening somewhere out of state, I'll do it. I'll come, we'll raise some money for a local veterans charity or something, do a screening. Um, that. you know, anybody that is willing to listen, I've been trying my best to reach out to some other guys that, you know, some of that tilt nose and, and stuff like that. And, See if we can't make it bigger and better. Get some more interest. It takes a long time, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, like we were talking about the music and stuff. I mean, I did, that was my first attempt at a film, but it was also my very first attempt at doing an entire soundtrack. So I was able to do that for the film, which was a personal thing. But, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm sitting here getting things together because I want to try to do more soundtrack work. That's my love. That's what I like to do. So anybody has interest is another way to, you know, if you... You want to help help me personally, anybody that's doing videos or, or wants some bumper music for their podcast or anything like that, give me a buzz. Copy you that. Maybe we'll put something together, you know. Um, there's plenty of stuff you can, you just listen to the uh, trailer. Uh, that's all, all my music. Everything's in there. So if you want some examples, just type in 21 Years of Fold the Flag on YouTube. You can mm -hmm. watch the trailer. There's also, uh, our live stream is still up. We did a live stream recently, and this is very cool. Um, I got a whole mess of local celebrities and comedians and, and politicians, and they all did a little videos and personalizing it. And we put a video montage of the whole thing right before we played the film. Um, <clears throat> but we had a little sound glitch. Um, but what we did was uh, we, we restarted it at like the 10-minute spot. But all that is still up. And that's going to be mm -hmm. a long, it's a long show, so get ready, because there's 23-minute montage, the movie is an hour and a half, and then there's question and answer right after it. So you just type that in, and you'll see it either on my <clears throat> my page that you helped me with, Sons of Sog. It's up on there, and it's also up on uh, Oscar Mike Radio. Copy that. And that's YouTube.com, and your YouTube channel is Sons of Sog. I'm also going to go ahead and... Um, in all versions of this podcast, I'm going to put links to, you know, the purchase site for your movie, um, links to your social media so people get in touch with you. 
Um, we're just going to make it just straightforward so people don't even have to Google it. They're just going to scroll down to the description of this podcast and they'll be able to check all this out because uh, you don't want to miss it, folks. This is just, it's not only a monument um, to your father, um, to your own journey, but it, it, it and, and not even SOG really. This is the story of our, you know, national collective, you know, with, with military history and especially with what happens when, unfortunately, as, as happens in, in war, you know, men make the ultimate sacrifice. So with this, I want to once again... It's also a human interest story. Yeah. What was that? Sorry, just uh, what would you say there, Rich? Interest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Absolutely. It trans and I, I think this is true about uh, military history. I love uh one of the goals of modern military history is to try to just make history military history accessible not only to people who are already interested in it, but anybody. I mean I, I really can't understand if you don't click on um for instance, you know, the story of when an NVA soldier touches John Stryker Meyer's boot when, you know, they're surrounded by guys hunting for them, how you can't just be immediately drawn in. Or when you hear the stories about what guys did on D-Day, or when you hear this story, that, you you know, no matter from what walk of life you are, how it doesn't capture you and make you, you know, you know, I guess just capture you is the best way to put it. It captures me, and I'm trying to share that with people because I just think it's so incredibly important, not just for military history, for us as a culture. But with that, I just want to tie us off. And once again, thank you, sir, Rich Fitz Jr. Thank you so much, sir, for coming on, for making time for us. Um, And thank you uh, to your family for the sacrifice um, that, that you folks made. We always talk about the SOG guys and we talk about, you know, the, the war stories. But this is where the rubber hits the road, so to speak. And you making time and you putting in the effort. I know it wasn't easy for you to meet today, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, my friend. <clears throat> Whenever I Copy can, that. I'll make the time. Copy that. Copy that. So this has been the Modern Military History Podcast with Rich Fitz. I am Andrew Wheeler. Thank you so much again, sir. And to you, the audience, it's not going to happen without you. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Take care.